Latvia Weekly, your independent guide to the news in Latvia with your hosts, Otto Tabuns and Joe Horgan. And welcome to episode number 194 of the Latvia Weekly Podcast. I am, for today, your one and only host, Joe Horgan. Unfortunately, Otto Tabuns is uh, not able to join me today. Unfortunately, we have not actually been able to record an episode in about a week and a half because our schedules have just not lined up due to the Latvian word of the week, which is Begas the Finnish. So at the end of a Latvian film, you will see the phrase uh, begas or the word begas. Um, begged is to finish. Uh, and there's a lot of variations of this. And we are at the end of the school year today, May 31st, when I'm recording this. I'm recording this at 9.38 in the morning right now. It is the final day of school. And that means that there have been lots of exams, there have, uh, which I will mention a little bit later in the episode. There's been a lot of students running around trying to finish work, trying to put in tests, trying to put in grades, lots of meetings. So unfortunately, auto and I's schedules have not lined up. And that means that unfortunately, we haven't really been able to have time also to put together an episode talking about the presidential election, which is happening today. Just very, very, very briefly, as we've talked about previously, the president of Latvia is elected by parliament, and that election is actually going on right now. I was watching the live stream of it on LSM Latvian Public Media, actually, right before I started recording this episode. So I'm not really going to talk about the election right now, because by the time you're listening to this, probably you know a lot more than I do. And the election unlike the previous elections where it was pretty clear already going into the election who would be the victor, nobody knows what's going to happen today, really, um, aside from maybe maybe a few people on the deeply plugged in on the inside. But uh, there's all kinds of theories as to what is going to happen. The three candidates, as we've mentioned before, are Uldis Bielans, who is a businessman and the founder of also the Opvinitais um, Saroks uh, list of two parties, um, the Latvian Green Party and the Latvian Regional Alliance. He was the first to announce his presidential candidacy. Then there was Elina Pinto from the Progressives, who kind of counts the second because Egils Levitz has dropped out of the race, the current president of Latvia. And then Foreign Minister Edgar Zrinkevich is also the third candidate uh, from Yaunavino Diba. And it's a really messy election because... Both Opvienotai Saraks and Yanovienotiba are from the governing coalition, so there's not a single unified coalition candidate. And there's all kinds of theories as to what is going to happen. I mean, there was a report on de facto, which was uh, which is Latvia um, public television's investigative journalism show, uh, that there was apparently some secretive meeting between the um, uh, number of, uh, between Yaunavienotiba and then two uh, opposition parties, Progressivi and the Union of Greens and Farmers. There's been all kinds of um, theories as to what that meeting was about. Uh, there's theories that that was about potentially replacing the current coalition with a with a new coalition of those parties in, in exchange for Nkavich becoming president. Uh, there's been all kinds of other different reports as to what happened in that meeting, so uh, nothing is clear. 
so who who knows? Uh, you know, it's it's going to be very interesting. Another very possible option is that nobody's elected today, and that there is a uh, another another election two weeks from now. So, in any case, we will do a look back episode on what happens today, but definitely it's going to be interesting no matter what. Certainly, probably the most interesting election since that of um, uh, Anders Berzinch back in two thousand and ten. I want to say, if I remember correctly, or two thousand. 11? I have to I have to look back. I'm getting my dates wrong. I should have looked that up ahead of time. But anyway, uh, so we're not going to talk about the presidential election um, in depth. Uh, one other thing I can just mention real quick is that there was a poll by um, SKDS, which is uh, one of the kind of leading polling firms here in Latvia. They work together with Latvian Public Television. And in terms of the polling data that they found, so 35% of respondents did not support any of the candidates, 22% were in favor of Edgar Zrinkevich, 21% Uldis Bielens, and uh, 10% in favor of Elena Pinto, and then 12% said it was difficult to say. So, you know, it's uh, kind of reflective of uh, how um, divided Parliament is about this right now, and, you know, really not one clear person that, um, that uh, you know, people are clearly behind. So, we will have to see what happens. Very, very interesting. But the big story here is not about the presidential election because something much more dramatic happened over the weekend, which I'm sure you guys have probably heard about if you know anything about Latvia, if you follow Latvia at all. That was the reason why 30,000 people showed up at the Monument to Freedom on Monday. That was Latvia's third place victory over the United States in the consolation game of the International Ice Hockey Federation World Championships. And uh, the previous time that Otto and I were talking, I think we had just talked about the victory over the Czech Republic, which was very consequential in terms of keeping Latvia's hopes alive. Um, They did make it through the tournament. They beat Sweden in the quarterfinals. We actually came fairly close to beating Canada in the semifinals, which would have been um, unbelievable. Uh, we were actually leading leading the game for, for, for most of the game. But uh, unfortunately, Canada is Canada at the end of the day when it comes to hockey. So they, they pulled out a last-minute victory. And uh, the game against the United States was just totally insane. Um, definitely suggest going back and, and watching that. I mean, it's just totally back and forth. Even if you're not into hockey, it's, it's it was just a great game. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, the reaction here in Latvia was just, I mean, the only thing I can compare it to as a sports fan, as somebody who grew up in the Boston area was, um, for those of you who are old enough to remember the curse of the Bambino. So this was, um, the, uh, the, the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees are huge rivals. I mean, they're probably the biggest rivals in American sports. And, uh, this was back in the 1910s that the Boston Red Sox traded away. Uh, Babe Ruth, who is one of the most famous baseball players of all time, went on to the New York Yankees to have um, an amazing career winning many World Series. And uh, supposedly he put a curse on the Boston Red Sox, and the Red Sox didn't break that curse until 2004 when they finally won a World Series. And I remember that very, very well. It was just like absolute madness. And this is, I would say, the closest I've seen to that um, elsewhere. Uh, one of the... <laughs> biggest aspects of the madness. So so the um, the game finished, if I remember correctly, it was Sunday, like around 
five o'clock or so, um, maybe five thirty. I can't remember the exact time, but later that after later that evening, um, so Saima um, Latvia's parliament came together in an emergency meeting, and just before eleven o'clock, they voted um, fifty-two in favor, um, and then a few abs. Um, abstentions and uh, and a lot of people who were not there uh, decided to make Monday an official state holiday. So um, that was the, the 29th or official state free day. So people, um, <laughs> it, it was, it, I mean, I remember my reaction. So um, my wife and I were up very, very late uh, kind of putting in some final grades uh, because like I mentioned, it's the end of the school year. And her sister sent us a message saying that she'd heard on LSM that, you know, Parliament had voted to make it a free day. And I was just like, oh, come on, like, give me a break. I mean, just immediately, my media teacher instincts uh, kicked into gear. And, you know, I immediately just assumed it was fake news. She'd probably found something like, you know, LSM.com or LSM.org, you know, that sometimes gets uh, used to spread fake news on especially social media websites. But then I checked and, oh, my gosh, they actually did <laughs> vote at just before 11 o'clock at night uh, to, to call off the workday that was happening in, in just a few hours. And then, of course, um, you know, th- that led to a lot of chaos, a lot of people not clear because there were exams, you know, there, there were ninth grade uh, Latvian exams happening that day, and I believe um, chemistry exams for, um, for high schoolers as well. Uh, they did make it very clear in the uh, law that they passed that exams would still happen. But then, you know, it was kind of unclear that, you know, for example, if you had an operations, you know, because people who take advantage of the Latvian state healthcare system, you know, sometimes you might have an operation or procedure or some kind of test that you have to schedule months in advance, sometimes like a year and a half in advance. And then all of a sudden, you know, oh, the government declared it's a free day. Like it, is that going to happen or not? You know, th- there was a lot of confusion. Uh, are kindergartens going to be working or not? You know, my um, uh, daughter's kindergarten teachers informed us at like, you know, six in the morning that um, that they wouldn't be working that day because of the holiday. And, you know, for me, it wasn't that much of a problem because I wasn't working at school either. But for people who work in the private sector, um, not everyone was very happy about this, especially, you know, because not everyone follows hockey. And also on the expats in Latvia Facebook group, which I know many of you are members of, there was a big discussion over whether or not this was the right thing to do. Some people had very negative reactions about this and, uh, you know, we're calling it very immature, for example. I mean, like me, me personally, I, I think it would have been best if somehow they had made this decision earlier. Like, I, I think like eight o'clock at night would be the most reasonable kind of latest time when people are still awake and people can still make alternative plans um, or do as... You know, some people have pointed out is done in in other countries and also in America. We do this, like for example, the Super Bowl is on a Sunday. Maybe have the parade and the celebration later in the week. For example, like Tuesday or Wednesday would have made sense. But at the same time, I mean, you know, it's it's one of these things where, you know, the, the older and older and older you get, you know, days kind of just blend together, and you know, there's there's not that much um, that's really worth remembering. You know, ten years from now, I mean, like most of the things you remember are from when you're much younger. And, you know, this is one of those things that everyone is going to remember. Like, nobody is going to forget, you know, not just the hockey game, but the fact that Saima came together and voted for a free day at 11 o'clock at night. And then, you know, most people had a free day. I mean, there was kind of a, 
joke going around that like, well, I had to go to work. You know, these people had to go to work. Actually, you know, the only people who can really just take a free day at the last second are members of parliament. So that, that was just kind of a, you know, little, little cutie that was going around a little joke, but which I thought was kind of funny, but uh, definitely something worth remembering. And, you know, just um, another, <laughs> you know, for, for, for me as an American, people have been asking me like nonstop for the last three days, like, oh, which side did you support? Or, you know, how are people in America reacting? Or like, oh, now do people finally know where America, where Latvia is in a map in America? And it has been my mm, very unpleasant duty to inform people that unfortunately, even the most hardcore hockey fans I know might be at best vaguely aware of the fact that there even is an international ice hockey championship. I mean, like aside, aside from people who have some kind of connection with Latvia or connection with other countries that really pay attention to it because, you know, right now, I mean, you know, I was even looking, I sent one video to um, my sister-in-law just comparing the front page of like Latvian public media where it was just all, you know, eight out of 10 articles had something to do with hockey. And then I looked at the New York Times sports section, the you know the sports sections of some other major media portals, and you know it was just only NBA playoffs, Stanley Cup, um, how to come back from a tennis injury, you know how to work intermittent fasting into your exercise routine. You know, just nothing, just nothing, even mentioning that there was an internationalized hockey federation championship because it's just one of those things that a country as large as America has its hands in so many different international sports that it's just impossible to keep track of everything. So, you know, I, for most Americans, ice hockey is just another one of those things. Oh yeah, I guess we probably participate in that. And, oh, how, how do we do? Oh, we didn't, we, we won. Oh, we didn't. Oh, okay. Whereas for Latvia, I mean, this is just, you know, the, the, the most exciting sports moment, probably in just about Latvian history. I mean, besides the, you know, major basketball uh, champion, uh, championship in the early 20th century, which there is a famous movie about, but, you know, definitely a very, very exciting moment because hockey is the sport here in Latvia. It is the thing that, you know, people just completely obsess over the same way that people obsess with over, um, you know, football and or soccer in Brazil, um, you know, and, I mean, I, I guess, you know, like most countries are, are football countries at the at the end of the day. But yeah, that, I mean, that, that is that that was the new story. You know, that, that, that's basically the news. I mean, everything has been about um, about hockey lately. The um, like I mentioned, 30,000, more than 30,000 people turn up at the Freedom Monument. And actually, one thing I'm very impressed about. So, you know, as much as people complained that Parliament made a very last minute decision to cancel the workday on Monday. I am very impressed how quickly Latvia was able to put together this parade with so many people, this huge event, you know, with just a few hours notice. I mean, it happened, this event happened uh, 24 hours, less than 24 hours after the victory. It happened at one o'clock at the Freedom Monument. So first the hockey team came back from Finland in this uh, Air Baltic plane that, you know, was decked out in Latvia colors. The one, you know, you've probably seen pictures of it before, but you can look it up. And they were met at the airport with, uh, you know, fire trucks that were spraying water in a, you know, victory formation. And then they took these buses directly to the Freedom Monument where there were 30,000 people waiting in the area. 
uh, you know, they, they had this very professional broadcast of it. Pratavetra was there, the most famous Latvian, you know, kind of uh, pop rock band and, you know, some other, some other very famous people there as well. So I'm very impressed by how quickly uh, that was pulled off at kind of the last minute. So anyway, congratulations, Latvia, for this amazing victory. Uh, one other thing actually I wanted to point out, which uh, most of you have probably heard at this point, but actually I did not know of this tradition until this year. But there is a tradition that Latvia does. I mean, you know, every every team, every fandom kind of has its own little, uh, you know, sports traditions. And, you know, like in, in Boston, we certainly have, uh, have, have plenty of them. But uh, one of them is that in Latvia, after there's a major victory, you know, for example, like the victory against Sweden, the victory against, um, you know, the U.S., obviously, uh, people go to the embassy <laughs> of that country and then lay down flowers in front of the um, <laughs> embassy, which, I don't know, I mean, a, a lot of people have, um, you know, no, no sense of humor about it or consider it very childish or, you know, backwards or provincial, I've, I've, I've seen it referred to as, but I don't know, I, I think I think it's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I think, I think that's pretty hilarious. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, that's probably enough hockey talk. I mean, to be very honest, I, I have to, I have to admit that I actually barely watched any of the games this year just because I was, you know, too busy to even record a podcast, but, um, it's just such, it's just such a thing that, you know, th- there's just a lot to, um, a lot to talk about in, in terms of it, because it is something that people really, really care about. But, there are other news stories that happened over the last couple of weeks. Um, one very serious story, uh, which is a lot less fun to talk about than hockey or than the presidential election, is a pretty serious situation which is unfolding in Latvia's farms because Latvia still has, um, you know, a- agriculture has always been a major part of Latvia's economy. And that's still true nowadays, especially in the region that I'm recording from right now, in, in the region around Yelgova, Zemgale, uh, th- there's been some serious setbacks to farmers this year already. Uh, first of all, there was a uh, pest which was eating, basically, as far as I understand, to the stems the um, of uh, different uh, fruit plants. And then, although it has been quite warm lately, there has still been some frosts. Um, actually, I, I just planted a thornberry bush uh, at my friend's house a couple of weeks ago and I think that was pretty much killed off by by the frost so um, you know for me that's not a big deal but for fruit growers who rely on the growing of berries and the growing of fruits for their livelihood uh, that is a disaster so there was a um, article in a Latvian public media originally I believe it was a Latvia's radio uh, news broadcast where they were talking with the Latvian Agricultural Cooperative Association, and apparently, according to their um, data and according to the Latvian Fruit Growers Association, so um, blueberries are estimated to have been um, 80 to 90 percent lost this year in terms of their harvests. Uh, apple trees, 50 to 60 percent. Um, also, black currants, which is a very important berry when it comes to a lot of uh, Latvian drinks and, and a lot of Latvian uh, food as well. Uh, up to 70% has probably been lost. Um, sweet cherries, apparently there's expected to be virtually no harvest this year due to the frost. And if that's not bad enough, uh, there's also a drought. And it is expected to be a particularly hot 
and dry summer. Uh, unfortunately, you know, this is the kind of trend that we've been seeing all, you know, many places across the world, most likely due to climate change. I mean, you can just look the dry, uh, the, um, uh, you know, hottest summer in history was here in Latvia in 2021. Um, the second hottest was 2010. The third hottest was just, you know, last year in 2022. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm no uh, scientist, statistician, but, you know, I think it's pretty clear, uh, you know, even if you don't have a degree in climatology, that there is a trend going on there. And you can look at the data even going further back than that. But uh, due to rain shortage uh, recently, uh, this has been compounding the problem. So, you know, these are all things that we have to be very conscious of. And, um, you know, right now, obviously, uh, growers and farmers are looking to the government for, you know, um, financial solutions to this problem. But, you know, given given the situation in the world, given the, you know, problems around the world with, um, you know, just the reliability of supply chains and, and the reliability of, you know, different partners that we've relied on in the past for different supplies. You know, it is very important that we have a robust uh, agricultural industry, you know, that can um, provide in in times of, uh, you know, in, in more difficult times. So uh, this, is, this is definitely something that, um, you know, the government, I think, is going to need to make more of a priority going ahead, uh, becoming more resilient in the food sector and in all kinds of other sectors as well, because, you know, the, the world is trending in a certain direction. And I think uh, you're just kind of burying your head in the sand and pretending that uh, things are just going to go back to quote-unquote normal is not going to be very productive. So, you know, whoever the next president is, you know, as, as much as they can influence the um, the the course that's taken on that, the discussion over that, and, you know, whether, um, you know, the current coalition continues or if there's a new coalition in a few weeks, then uh, that's definitely going to have to be something they take more seriously, whether they really want to or not. Um, so we will keep an eye on the situation in Latvia's farms. Uh, looking at the energy situation, that's something we've talked about a lot in the past year and a half or so since the beginning of uh, Russia's wide-scale invasion of Ukraine back in February 2022. One of the things that we've mentioned before on the show is the fact that Latvia's biggest gas provider, Latvia's Gaze, is owned um, significantly by not just um, Gazprom, which is, you know, uh, Russia's uh, state state gas company, but but also other Russian interests, and um, you know th- that's obviously been a, a major concern in the past. Uh, but uh, one thing which was reported on, I believe it was the end of last week, is that uh, Gas, which is uh, an Estonian company, is uh, looking to buy out uh, those stakes in um, in Gaso, which is the uh, gas provider subsidiary of Latvia's Gaze, and um, you know looking to expand their holdings in the area, which, um, you know, certainly I, I think that that is certainly more palatable than, you know, uh, owners in a country which is openly hostile to Latvia and is questioning, um, you know, Latvia's sovereignty in, in so many words, uh, you know, in, in multiple times and has used gas as a weapon, you know, in international relations, has, has used it as a tool to try to influence other countries, you know, so certainly Estonia is a far more um, 
friendly nation to Latvia, and and we we will have to see. Though obviously, there's um, a lot of uh, processes that would have to go, th- that would have to be gone through before that uh, really turns into anything. So we'll keep an eye on that, Otto and I. Let's take a look at the streets of Riga. So first of all, for those of you who are bike fans, uh, you can pretty soon enjoy some new bike paths uh, because there has been um, EU funding for new bike infrastructure uh, from Riga to Pinci, which is a um, place that probably some of you have certainly been to before, maybe lived in. Uh, That is a uh, suburban village just outside of Riga, kind of between Riga and Jormala which has, uh, I believe, three international schools now and um, you know, many uh, foreigners here in, in Latvia uh, live in that area, you know, either people who work at the international schools or work at different embassies. So uh, there's going to be new bike infrastructure between uh, Pinchi and the center of Riga, also uh, Ulbroka and uh, Tekova, there will be new bike infrastructure as well, which I think people um, who are bike fans will certainly be happy to hear about. Also, people who are complaining about congestion. You know, due to the Rail Baltic construction, there's been all kinds of, um, uh, you know, discussion about um, the uh, the new car traffic that has um, become more prominent, especially uh, coming across Talutilt uh, or the Island Bridge into the center. And, um, you know, certainly the, the less people have to drive, the, the less car traffic there's going to be. So that Hopefully, we'll have some kind of uh, an impact, but um, well, probably long after <laughs> that construction is over. But um, another uh, project uh, which has just been announced here in uh, Riga, actually speaking of the Rail Baltic construction. So usually when I come from Yelgova, I drive across the Island Bridge and I go along the um, uh, 11th of November uh, Krasmala. And uh, instead, now with that construction with the Rail Baltic Bridge, I have uh, been going down uh, Mukusalas uh, Iela, which is right on the other side of the river, but apparently they are planning on doing a major reconstruction process there as well. So um, (laughs) I'm just going to have to start taking the train more, which I love taking the train in. Luckily, my daughters love taking the train as well, and they're kind of old enough now to um, be able to do it in a... um, uh, in an easy way for, for me to deal with. And they actually really enjoy the plane, uh, the train, sorry. Uh, so apparently they're going to be improving the uh, kind of environmental situation along the embankment, which is, uh, I don't believe it's been renovated in quite some time. And this is exactly going to be along the area which, um, which I drive through between the Island Bridge and the Stone Bridge. So this is about uh, two kilometers of, uh, of area and uh, 18 hectares of land, which is quite a bit. So uh, so they're going to also be removing some elements of Soviet symbolism, which you can notice on the guardrails. Uh, you know, there's still elements of this in, in different parts. And, and this is one, one part which has been talked about for quite some time. But now, obviously, given the situation we've talked about a lot in the past, um, there uh, is more of a uh, political will to, to do that. And um, uh, what was I going to mention? Yeah, speaking of Soviet um, symbolism, so not necessarily Soviet symbolism, but uh, we've been talking a lot recently about the removal of different monuments. And uh, one monument which there had been discussion about potentially removing was a monument to Alexander Pushkin, famous Russian writer, uh, that was put in during the Niels Ushakov's era, back when Niels Ushakov was the mayor of Riga, um, 
kind of uh, by the um, in, in the Kronvaldis parks, uh, kind of in the uh, quiet center area of Riga. There was just some discussion about removing that uh, due to the you know, questioning why putting a major statue of a Russian writer that didn't really have um, so much of a connection with uh, Latvian culture in such a prominent place. Also, some people were pointing out some of the uh, statements that he had made uh, regarding Russian imperialism. And so that has been removed. So, um, you know, there, there was a uh, big debate over that about whether or not, um, you know, cultural figures, you know, writers should be exempt from the, uh, the politics of the day. But um, there was enough people who felt that, you know, again, it doesn't mean that people are, or that the government is banning the work of Pushkin or reading the work of Pushkin or finding the work of Pushkin in, in different libraries. But the question is always, you know, who do you put on a pedestal? You know, which people are you valuing enough to put in a public place with a with a statue kind of lionizing them? Which is why, I mean, for me personally, I'm not a fan of having uh, statues or monuments of specific people because, you know, you, you always run into this problem sooner or later that the values of uh, society or the values of, uh, you know, there are forces in society uh, change, change at a certain point. So that's why I love, for example, the Freedom Monument, where, you know, it's not to a specific person, it's to an idea, or like the Vietnam Memorial, where, you know, it's it's not showing like some specific general, it's showing, you know, the, the, the sacrifice that was, um, that was made by uh, so many Americans who, you know, regardless of what they you know, whether they agreed with the war that they were fighting in, you know, were, um, were lost, you know, in a, in a very kind of senseless way. So anyway, um, but it's, it's gone. So if you're wondering uh, what happened as a result of that story, that is what happened. So that was just, uh, just yesterday that it was, um, that it was announced. Um, last thing, I guess, when it comes to the streets of Riga. So this was actually just this morning that um, that this was uh, put out there is that apparently, um, according to Eurostat, which is um, the EU's kind of major statistics bureau, uh, Latvia is one of the lowest uh, in terms, in all of the EU, one, one of the uh, countries that has the lowest amount of car ownership. So car ownership has gone up in Latvia since 2001 fairly dramatically, and that's something that you can kind of um, notice on the streets, uh, you know, do, being more more crowded and, and, and there being more, um, you know, widening projects and, and infrastructure projects uh, since since then. But uh, compared with the EU, um, Latvia has, or other EU countries, um, Latvia is uh, only ahead of Romania in terms of having the lowest uh, motorization rate. So just around 400 passenger cars per a thousand people compared to uh, Poland, which is close to 700. So Poland is way up at the other end. Um, in America, uh, it is, I think, dramatically more than that. But anyway, um, let's take a look at one story which we have not talked about in quite some time. That is the situation with the former central bank president, Mr. Ilmaris Rimshevich, and uh, also one businessman, Martin, uh, sorry, Maris, uh, Martin Sons. Uh, so we talked a lot about him back in the kind of earlier days of the Latvia Weekly podcast. There was a big back and forth about whether or not he should be allowed to continue his job as a central bank president while he was under investigation. There was actually an EU court decision that, that forced 
um, Latvian authorities to allow him to continue working, but then obviously his term was not removed, uh, sorry, was not renewed. But uh, apparently back on the 28th of uh, May, so there was another report by uh, De Facto, the uh, investigative journalism show I mentioned earlier, and apparently prosecutors are looking to give him a prison sentence. So um, they're, they're looking to put him behind bars for um, a uh, fairly significant amount of time due to potential uh, bribery. So that court case is going ahead. We will keep an eye on it, Otto and I, and let you know how that progresses, as we have been doing for the last few years. We have also talked a lot lately about the State Defense Service, the new mandatory um, compulsory state service or the State Defense Service. Uh, and next year, they're planning that they're going to have two different drafts and 600 people are going to be recruited into the National Armed Forces and then 250 into other types of service. That's 850 altogether in 2024. So that is moving ahead as we have talked about. We talked about previously the draft for 2023 taking place and the voluntary round that was first. So that is going ahead. But our word of the week was Vegas, and that was related to the end of the school year. So I'd like to end with one story which has become increasingly important here in Latvia schools, uh, something that I've been dealing with with my students, and that is the use of artificial intelligence, or especially uh, chat GTP in particular, but other artificial intelligence services to help with work. There was a Pretty major report uh, about a week and a half ago on uh, Latvian radio or Latvian public radio. They talked with different teachers, different uh, directors of schools, asking what they were doing to combat this growing trend, which is specifically a problem for language teachers, certainly. Uh, and this is not just a problem in English classes because it is good enough already for the Latvian language as well and other languages as well, these advanced language models which have become very popular recently. So there's been a number of reactions to this. I mean, I know some colleagues who, for example, only allow work to be written in class by hand you know, without a chance to really use artificial intelligence to do the work for you. But there's been all kinds of other reactions as well. So there was one director of, I believe it was the state gymnasium in Sigulda, who was saying that he wanted his colleagues to kind of be more clever about it and find different ways to use the artificial intelligence. And for example, to have a higher punishment where there was any kind of mistakes that were made in the artificial intelligence text. I don't know how effective that would really be. I mean, for me personally, because I, I have had students who have used artificial intelligence, you know, to create text, and it's pretty obvious to me almost immediately. This is either at the university level or, you know, even all the way down to seventh grade. For me personally, what I notice is my assignments are usually fairly specific. So, for example, if they write uh, one one task that they had to do back in January was they, they had to write a uh, film review of a movie that was adapted from a book. And there were some specific things that they had to focus on. Uh, they had to focus on the cinematography, for example, and the dialogue, and also about how the book was adapted from, uh, sorry, how the film was adapted from the book. And there was certain essays which were extremely, you know, had a very high vocabulary and perfect grammar, but they were just so vague. And they were talking about things that we just, you know, that had not mentioned to include in the 
um, essay or in the review, for example, about oh the representation of of Asian actors, and I was like, wait a minute, like there's no way, you know, it's just it's just almost immediately obvious. And you know, for me personally, what I've been doing so far is that, uh, you know, I mean, one thing is that there's these fairly accurate checkers where you can, um, if you're suspicious, you can copy and paste the work into these checkers. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I've, I've done it uh, quite a bit, you know, because I've, I've uh, copied and pasted some work, which, you know, I can tell is really written by a student and, you know, it'll show that, nope, this is actually human. Uh, and usually when I'm suspicious about whether or not it's written by an AI or not, um, it's almost certainly written by an AI. I've, I've, I've you know, I have a pretty good sense of this already, just based on how vague the text is, how it's not specific. And, you know, that's been my policy so far, basically, is that, you know, this does not fit the requirements of the assignment, so I can't accept it. And and then usually what they'll what they'll do is they'll submit something that actually does fill the requirements. Uh, because here in Latvia over the last few years, uh, there has been a policy where, I, I don't think I've actually talked about this on the show before, but students are allowed to, uh, once they receive a grade, uh, resubmit or or retake the test, wh- whatever the type of work is for, for a summative grade, you know, the grades that count towards their, their final grade, uh, within, it's either like one or two weeks of submitting it or, or doing the test. And that is something that the government is probably going to do away with. There's going to be a new grading system coming into effect in September, which uh, my colleagues and I are mostly pretty happy about because this whole system of allowing students to redo almost any grade uh, has resulted in people just not taking it very seriously the first time. So, uh, you know, we will uh, we will see what happens there, but that has not been officially released yet. And um, yeah, it's it's exam week. So, uh, so Otto and I are also going to be very busy again. My, my um, students, my 12th grade students take their exams next week. It is the very first time that there has been this high level because um, the the way the way the exams work now it used to be in the past that all students had to take a um, foreign language exam and at the time it used to also include Russian as a possibility either English Russian or it could be a different foreign language Latvian language exam math exam and at least one other choice exam but uh, that that has changed and, and now basically the way it is now it, it's actually it's almost a little bit similar to um, I don't want to say it's similar to America's system because America is very weird. But, but uh, basically, the the system is now that everybody has to take this optimal level. It's called the optimal level exam in foreign language, which is English um, and uh, you know other other. It's going to be other EU languages in in the future going forward. Um, then also Latvian language and math. And then, so those are the optimal level exams. And then everybody has to take at least two higher level exams. So in America, this would be like kind of the equivalent of like an AP level exam. Uh, in England, I think there are, or in the UK, I believe there are the A levels, but I honestly don't know how they work. So I can't really comment on them. And so everyone has to take at least two of those. So, and and people can theoretically pick, but it also depends on what the school can provide. So most schools provide English as an option. Some schools require that everybody takes the higher level English course. So anyway, um, this is the first year that we've had these higher level exams. So it's a C1 level exam and uh, my students are going to be taking that next week. So everyone uh, send us some positive energy because I have a lot of students who are taking that. I will be grading that as well, which I'm a little bit nervous about uh, because this is also my first time grading this exam because it 
hasn't uh, hasn't existed previously. So I'm going to be grading the speaking part of the exam. So that is what's going to be happening. Um, but looking ahead to some more interesting things in the week of the future, I made a post about this on the expats in Latvia group, but I strongly suggest people who are fans of music to check out. Um, so uh, I don't know. I don't know if I've talked about the band Zodiac before, but um, they're probably my favorite Latvian band. So they started out as Zodiac in the early 80s making music that was kind of in the same universe as like Kraftwerk and you know the French band Space, this kind of like space rock, you know, kraut rock type stuff, uh, which was very, very popular. I believe their first album sold something around 20 million copies throughout the Soviet Union and, you know, other other countries in the area. Although I've, I've never seen like a, a firm confirmation of that, but I, I've seen that number repeated in many different places. But so I, I can't, I can't confirm that it's actually 20 million copies, but, but it would, I mean, <laughs> one, one, the one piece of evidence I've seen that corroborates that is that I, I run into copies of this album, like all over the place in different people's houses and different secondhand stores. Uh, so that album was, um, uh, what was it called? Uh, Disco Alliance, I believe. So, uh, but then they transitioned to, in the later eighties, they, um, Two of my favorite singers in the world, probably my definitely my two favorite Latvian singers, um, Siegfried Muktapavels, who is also a very talented violinist and also a radio presenter, and uh, Maya Lucena, who, if you've ever listened to the Lodge Places rock opera, um, plays Leimduota in that. They joined the band, and then in the late 80s, they really very actively participated in the Third Awakening movement. They went from instrumental kind of rock to having lyrics that were very based on Latvian folk tales and, and Latvian folk culture and, and Latvian poetry. A lot of their songs were just poems or, or, or even new poems that were written at that time. And uh, really amazing musicians, um, you know, really amazing lyrics, um, really amazing singers. And uh, unfortunately, they broke up in 1991 because Maya Lucina, who was um, one of the singers I just mentioned, uh, she was married to the band's leader, the um, uh, synth master, Janis Lucens, who is also a very famous composer as well, and the, their their marriage broke up, and um, they haven't really been on great terms since then, so this is actually the first reunion concert, because there, there have been some concerts where Zodiac has played their instrumental music, um, or, you know, there have been some you know, special performances or benefit concerts where, you know, Siegfried Muktopavels or Maya Lucina will play some Zodiac songs. But this is the first time that they've all kind of been together on stage. Also with uh, Ivars Gudreis, who is just an amazing uh, guitarist as well. He's played in a number of other bands as well. So I'm very, the reason I'm mentioning all this is because this Saturday, they're playing their first concert in many, many, many years right here in Yelgava at the Mitova Open Air Concert Hall or kind of the huge big tent on the island. So, uh, there's still a few tickets left there. I am obviously going to be there uh, watching that because I love Zodiacs. And, uh, but they're going to be playing all throughout the summer. And one thing I actually really love is that uh, they're playing pretty much everywhere in the country except for Riga. I mean, I, I can imagine that they'll probably like add a Riga show eventually. But really great excuse to get out and go to the countryside and, and see some other parts of Latvia in addition with seeing one of the most legendary Latvian bands. So... Uh, 
<clears throat> I am not a sponsor of uh, of Zodiac or uh, whatever companies promoting them or whatever, but I am just a huge Zodiac fan. And since Otto is not here right now, um, he can't shut me up. So, but I, I don't know if Otto likes uh, Zodiacs as well, but I'm, I'm sure he does. I mean, almost everyone loves them here in Latvia. So definitely go and check them out if you can. Um, but that just about does it for this week. So the presidential election, like I said, is, is happening uh, right now. You can watch the live stream. I'm going to continue watching the live stream in just a minute as soon as I uh, say goodbye to all of you. But before I say goodbye to all of you, I want to say a special thanks to Kian, who is always keeping our, uh, our Facebook page updated with stories of the day every single day, because in situations like this, where Nando and I weren't able to record in a week and a half, he's been keeping updated with what's, what's happening here, especially with uh, all the hockey situation as well. Uh, I want to say thank you to all of you who are listening for the first time or who have been listening for many years already. Please, if you like the show, tell your friends and leave us a positive review wherever you are listening. Or if you have criticism of the show, I'm happy to hear it because we have uh, changed the format of the show many times in the past uh, based on our listeners' feedback. So whatever you know, you think uh, we could do to make the show more effective, uh, let us know within reasonable bounds, of course. Uh, so... Anyway, that just about does it, except for saying to all of you, Vislava Vizium. <laughs>